Um, turn with me over to the book of Matthew. And the theme of the conference has been sonship. And I want to continue on that theme. Today I'm going to talk about what it means to be a son of God. Um, and the title of the message is The Distinction Between Being Born and Proven. The Distinction Between Being Born and Proven. A Son of God. Matthew chapter 5, verses, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Lord, help us as we study your word. Here Jesus is, is setting the tone for his entire ministry by doing uh, a discipleship lesson, a, a small group with, his, with the people he's chosen. And he's bringing them close. And these are people that really have no idea about why he does what he does. They, they've only heard proclamations about his stature and his calling. John the Baptist was pretty clear in proclaiming who this one was. And it must have been so captivating to these men, these 12, that they quit their jobs in order to follow him. Now, there are people who join our church, but there are very few people who say, I'm ready, Pastor Brett, wherever you go, to quit my job and follow you. If you, you happen to go to Kansas, I'm going to be with you. That just doesn't happen very often. And these guys did that. They left their occupations and their homes to follow him, which meant whatever John said and whatever they knew from the Old Testament to be true about who the Messiah was had to be so captivating that whatever they were going to lose was worth it to get what they were going to gain. And Jesus now is trying to bring them up to speed in a hurry with the Sermon on the Mount. And the people who were in earshot, within earshot, they could listen to everything that was being said, but this was primarily for these 12, teaching them the philosophy of what it meant to be kingdom in their orientation. And they hadn't experienced a kingdom for generations. Israel had not. They had not been their, their own autonomous nation for better part of six centuries. And so... The idea of being ruled by the law of God and his anointed under the umbrella of David as passed through that lineage. Their grandparents didn't know anything about it. Their great-grandparents didn't know anything about it. We're talking probably 12 to 13 generations had no clue about what it meant to experience kingdom living. Jesus is the first one who comes and brings this idea. And so he talks about what it means to be blessed. And this, this is not in contrast to the blessing that is understood in the Old Testament. The blessing that is understood in the Old Testament is if you obey, you will receive benefits. Benefits that, that, that not only make you happy, but the benefits that everybody else would think would make you happy, and if they had them, would make them happy. Finances, fruit of the womb, no miscarriages. Your crops, your fields, everything you have will be blessed. Everything that's found in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, you will be blessed like that if you obey. Protection from your enemies, 
Arrows that fly by day, terror, night won't come near. You'll be under the shadow and under the, the wings of the Almighty. Uh, protection from disease and pestilence. No drought, no famine, no sword. Uh, it's going to be all great. That's what blessing looks like. And Jesus doesn't come in contrast to that, but he expands it. And, and, and he begins to talk about blessed are the poor. The disciples are saying, wait, wait, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> you, you, you missed that. You mean blessed are the rich. I know what you meant to say, but I'm just trying to help you. No, no, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait, 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 that's not what my Old Testament says. My Old Testament says if you're poor, then it's really a consequence of your disobedience. And surely you couldn't be blessed. If you're poor, you must have done something really, really bad. And now you're experiencing the, 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 the results of your, your disobedience. What do you mean, blessed are the poor? How can people who are poor be happy? No way. Blessed are those who find themselves persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are you talking about? How can anybody be happy if they're going to be persecuted? And how can anybody be happy if they're mourning because of great loss? What kind of gospel good news do you call this? Now, it's not a contradiction of the Old Testament. It's an expansion. That you, as disciples of mine, are not dependent on the natural circumstances of life in order to be blessed. You can be blessed even when things aren't going, going well with you. I'm not saying you're not blessed if things do go well. If you obey, all those things in the Old Testament still stand. But when you come into my world, I want you to know you can be blessed even when things are going bad. It doesn't have to be two plus two equals four in terms of what you believe blessing looks like. You can actually be in the negative with respect to the natural and still find happiness in God. You can find your ledger all red. All red. And be praising him for his goodness and grace. You are not dependent on this world to determine how your soul ought to be. This is what it means to be blessed on the planet in a way that's beyond that which everybody else considers blessed. I'm expanding your idea, not changing it, not contradicting it. I'm making it bigger so you can find yourself content in all circumstances. This is what Paul was talking about. I've learned what it means to be happy when I got a lot. And I've learned what it means to be happy when I got nothing. I can do all things because I got Jesus living on the inside of me. The expansion of blessing. And he uses this idea of being made happy and applies it to the idea of peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaking is, is hard work. It's hard work. But it's work that must be done if humanity is to be reconciled to one another and to God. Generally speaking, those who are at odds with one another that need peacemaking, and those are the only people that need peacemaking. When you have difficulty with somebody else, either with God or with somebody else, you need help. Generally speaking, when you need the kind of help that requires a peacemaker, it's because you can't get it right yourself. Husbands and wives find themselves in difficult spots over a period of years. It may not be because somebody did something so egregious. It might just be because somebody's been stupid for a long time. 
I ain't talking about your wives either. You've just been insensitive for a long time, and it's just been building up. There was hope that she had that someday you were going to change, and one day she woke up, nine years, she said, it ain't ever going to change. And then all of a sudden, she changed. Realizing you weren't, she changed, and she shut down. And now she's been walking for two years, just trying to figure out, what do I do now that I know there's no hope? And you're looking at one another, and you're saying to yourself, what happened? I'm the same guy. Yes, that's the problem. That's the problem. I ain't changed. That's the problem. That's the problem. And she realizes that. And now you realize she's changed, but for the worse. And, and you always wanted less conversation, but not like this. You never wanted it like this. You never wanted her to shut up like this. Now she's not talking to you at all. It's not because she, she's sensitive. She just doesn't care. And now you're thinking, okay, I got to do something. I got to do something. Now, now, now you're prompted to change, but it's a little late. By the lack of amens, I think I'm hitting some chords. It's a little late. And now you're trying, hey, do, do, do we need to talk? What, 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 what's, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, no, something's wrong. Something in, no, I'm good. Really, just keep living. But what? It's all right. You can't fix it. And now, the thing that a man never wants to do, he realizes is his last resort. Let's go to counseling. (laughs) You never want to submit yourself to somebody else to fix your marriage because you think you're in charge and can make it right. Let's go to counseling. But it's all you got left. And what you're saying is, I need a peacemaker. I need somebody to help me. Because we're at war. No no blows are being thrown. No words are being said. It's a silent conflict. It's a cold war. I need help. Peacemakers come in when there's little hope on either side. Or none at all. Peacemakers are absolutely essential because Adam reigns in all of us. Adam tries to usurp the rule of Christ in our lives regularly. And though we ought to be the most Christian in our closest relationships, usually we are the worst. So we need help to kick Adam off the throne. He's already been dethroned, at least theologically, when you gave your heart to Christ. He has no right to sit there anymore. But we let him. And rather than us being seated together in heavenly places in Christ, like it says in Colossians 2, we we find ourselves letting Adam be seated with us in earthly places. And our attitudes get in the way. And our relationships get messed up. Maybe it's between you and your son, you and your girlfriend, you and your daughter, you and your dad, you and your coworker, your supervisor. Somebody out there has gotten on your nerves or you theirs. And either you don't have the skills or the want to to fix it. And you need a reconciler, you need a peacemaker regardless of your desire to want to or the skill set.
Because God wants to fix everything that's broken. That's why he sent his son. He wants to fix everything that's broken. That's why he sent his son. Jesus said, my food is to do the work of him who sent me and to fulfill his will. John 4, 34. That's my work and my food is to do that. And when you think about his ultimate work for which he came, it wasn't about healing people. It wasn't about preaching messages. Those were on the way to the ultimate. For this purpose, it says he came that he might die. Everybody on his staff tried to stop him from that purpose. When I go to Jerusalem, they're going to beat me in Matthew 16. They're going to take me and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and then I'm going to rise. Peter says, no, Lord, may it never be. Everybody tried to stop him who loved him from going this direction. That was his ultimate purpose, to go to the cross, to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitutionary punishment for our sins, to make reconciliation for us that we couldn't do on our own to God, to die in our stead to take our punishment, to take our whooping, to take our death, and then rise so that we could have his life. That was the ultimate purpose. It was the only way that peacemaking could be done because our sin stood between us and God, and there was no way we could make it go away. He said, my food, my palate, I get hungry. When I think about doing the will of God, the perfect will of God for me. I don't thirst or hunger for anything else than that. Everything else was on the way. It was witness in its orientation. It was caring for people. It was putting band-aids on, on, on permanent temporary problems. Somebody couldn't walk. They were lame for the rest of their life. That's a permanent, temporary problem. They will have it for the rest of their life, but when they go to glory, it's gone. Jesus said, I'm going to fix your permanent, temporary problem. So you can have some degree of comfort here. Blind from birth, got that. You can see why you're here. On the way things. He was more interested in the eternal perspective than he was the temporary though he ministered to the temporary and gave us wisdom and insight and did it better than anybody else. I mean, excellence unparalleled. How does the greatest theologian take the most difficult truths that we can find in the universe and make them so understandable to human beings in, in ways that are agrarian? So we went out to sow. You've got to work really hard to make complicated concepts simple. You've got to work really, really hard. This is why we find writers to be really wonderful when we read the writing who are really good at what they do because they've taken the English language and taken concepts sometimes that are difficult and made them simple. People who talk too much and, 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 and love to hear themselves speak you get tired of reading what they say because you realize you could have said that in one sentence rather than three. <laughs> Distillation is an art. Jesus was the grand artist. He was a maestro at that. 
And all those things help us. But the ultimate was making peace for you with God. Now, if you want to be known as a son, I didn't say you want to be a son. You want to be known as a son. Do that. Care for his will so much that peacemaking becomes your food. When you get up in the morning, all you do is hunger to try to fix the world. Because you realize that's the reason you have been left here. It's not just about preaching a message that encourages somebody or healing a permanent temporary problem. It's about applying this message of truth to somebody's life that fixes their eternal destination. You want to be known as a son of God? Let this be your food. Peacemaking. Because when Jesus speaks it here, he's not talking about identity. Pastor Chris spoke on it so well last night. Our, our identity is fixed by God. As soon as we get right with him, we're, we, got his, we got his name. We're an inheritor. We're his boys. That can't be added to by any deed. Now, we as men love the idea of somehow letting our, our work help define who we are. When I say love, I'm probably speaking in hyperbolous tones, but we gravitate toward that. We lean toward that because everything in our makeup says that what we do helps to define who we are. Now, we know that what we do should not define who we are, but we realize it probably helps define who we are. Now, how much help is the issue? It really should give no identity to who you are. It should give encouragement to your being in your, the middle of your purpose. Because there is nothing on the planet that you do can help, that can help your identity. Nothing. It feels like what you begin to do that is good when you no longer do bad does help your identity because you get stroked in your ego. That you're no longer out there carousing, you're no longer doing stuff you should not do, and now you're helping, you're in church, you're in small groups, and you feel like you're doing right. So your, your own sense of significance is really strummed, and you hear a new tune you've never heard before, and you like it. And you feel good about yourself because of your new deeds. Nothing wrong with that, except that if it begins to encourage your identity, then you'll gravitate toward doing rather than being. And you'll concentrate more on your deeds rather than what God has done. Are you listening to me? This is critical. What Pastor Chris said last night is so key. Your purpose is really important. And there are two things in life that are most important regarding those days that, that you can count as the most critical. The day you're born, the day you find your purpose. True. But what happens if you fulfilled a whole lot of your purpose and you still got like 30 years left? I'm there. There is nothing I need to do in order to feel like my life was worth it on the planet. Nothing more. 
I've already exceeded my expectations. Now, maybe they were too small. But my ego can't be stroked by a larger church. My sense of significance can't be stroked by planting more churches. You can't give me a better title that's going to make me wake up happier tomorrow. And you can't give me more money that's going to fulfill my soul. All those things would be nice, but it's not going to do it for me. What happens when you fulfill a whole lot of your purpose? What then? Is there anything out there that's going to drive you beyond just duty? The thing you have to have current? Vibrant? Strong? Is your relationship with God that defines who you are rather than your deeds? And the reason we confuse these things and your brain is working overtime to try to figure out how I'm saying it and why I'm saying it is because in the garden, there's very little difference in time between when Adam was created and when he was put to work. You look in Genesis 2 at the account in the order of how things were going in, in a different kind of order than Genesis 1. It says that God created Adam from the dust of the earth. He breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living being, beautiful. And then it says, he put him in the garden to work. As soon as he was created, he said, time to go to work. And so it's tough for us sometimes to separate that sense of duty and purpose from who we are. Because in proximity, they're so close, as distinguished from women. Who... Let, let, let me explain it like this. When a man loses his job, when he gets fired, laid off, it's different than when a woman gets fired and laid off. Both of them need employment. Both of them need money. But something happens different in the soul. A man begins to question who he is. Why am I here? Depression begins to set in. You have to, you have to ward off discouragement. You work every day just to make it feel like there's a purpose for you to continue to draw breath. Why am I on the planet? I'm, I'm worthless here. Because you're not doing. Now, to one degree or another, all, of, all men will go through that. And to some degree, some women might, but not to the same degree. You can really get down to a woman's issues if you mess with the relationships. Not so much a man. A man you mess with his relationships is not fun. But a woman, oh. Why? Because she was taken from Adam. She was not made from the dust of the earth. She was made from Adam. Rib. And instead of being put in a place to work, she was brought directly to him. Directly back to him. Not a job. In relationship. So a woman, you mess with her relationships, you mess with her kids, you mess with her husband, you mess with her friends. Depression begins to set in. Darkness, gloom covers your life. You do that with a man, eh, I can go find some new boys someplace. I find a new bowling partner, hey, okay, we didn't work out, it didn't happen. Hey, a woman, oh gosh, what am I going to do? different and so our purpose as men is important super important but most of us are going to outlive 
the original purpose for which we thought we were placed on the planet. If, you, if you're doing the will of God every day, most of us are going to because no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart perceived, mind conceived, what God has in plan, in store for those who love him. We always dream too small. We always do. So what do you do when you live long enough to do just about everything that you think you should have done and more? No more stroking of the ego with respect to accomplishment. Now, your identity needs to be found in your relationship with God and that only. Because nothing else will replace that. No deed could ever replace that which you need to find an identity from God. None. You are a son of God, and that is made directly from him. And the, the, what we need to do is grow in revelation of what that means every day so that we let nothing, nothing vie for the attention that that needs to be given directly to the Father. Are you following me? Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because at some point, you won't do as well as you should. You'll fail. You'll mess up. And it will mess with your identity if you haven't found your identity in him. Are you listening? So, what is Jesus saying here? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What is he saying? He's saying, if you, do the, if you do the will of God well, and you do this one primary thing that is so important to seeing the planet reconciled to him, it's not going to affect your identity. He's not talking about how you perceive yourself. He's talking about how others will perceive you. When you are a peacemaker, you become a witness. Are you listening to me? You become a witness. They say, He's like, where'd you get that wisdom from? How, how were you able to untie that knot? Who told you that? My, my father, yeah. I got a word of knowledge. You don't know what that is, but it's a supernatural thing where God speaks to me on your behalf. Yeah, it proves that I'm a son. I don't need it because I know who I am with him. But when I'm a peacemaker, I then am called a son of God not only by the Father to people, but by people to me. I am proclaimed as such and become a witness to the world. And let me tell you, Washington is waiting for the sons of God to be manifest. Romans 8 says the world groans, groans, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Meaning they're waiting for you to reveal yourself to them, to be who you are. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known, called, proclaimed as sons of God. You want to be a great witness? You want other people to proclaim you as being the finest Christian they know without you having to tell them? Be a wonderful peacemaker. And I'm not saying you got to go get your counseling license. You don't have to be a psychiatrist, psychologist. You just got to preach the gospel. 
You just got to help people know what direction they need to go in to get to God. That's all. Just like it. If you don't know these scriptures that are most important to preaching the gospel, it goes back to what I say on a regular basis. You need to read your Bible every day. So you know how to navigate these passages into somebody's soul. The world needs us, gentlemen. Not just me. Not just the professional who knows what they're doing because they live in the environment every day. They need the layperson. Because I can't get in your workplace every day. I can't go to your school. I can't live in your house. All I can do is wait for every week on a Sunday for you to bring them here. I can impact my world and indeed I do it as best I know how. But I can't yours. Your world is waiting for you. To be a peacemaker. To evidence that God is in the earth because he's got kids here. He's got people who represent him well. He's got family members who are stewarding the kingdom. You want to be known as one of his boys? You want to be known as one of his boys? Be a peacemaker. Preach his gospel. Help people to get right with God. Reduce the enmity between God and man. And make peace. Make peace. Now there's a price to pay as I close. Peacemaking has its cost. You are no longer going to be known as you. You're going to be enveloped in an identity that you probably didn't fully want to be. Because now the person who has received the benefit of your ministry may not have received it as well as you like. And they might go away thinking, Jesus freak. They're going to go talk to everybody about you. Oh, he's a Bible toting something, something. And now the, 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 the spotlight is going to be on you. The microscope is going to be out. And every little thing you do and every little word you say, they're going to pick at. And that means, gosh, you might have to live right. You just might have to live right. I, I sometimes when I sometimes when I'm running errands for my wife, I have to think about whether I want to go out today. It's not because it's not because I, I I'm, I'm not going to live right. It's just that when people see me, they think I need to live better than right. This man right here. JC is an elder in our church, Elder Sherrod. I was going through Costco back then with Price Club. Had little kids. Cynthia was home with, oh, I was sleeping. I was taking my little kids. And he decided he was going to follow me around Costco to see whether I was a real Christian. <laughs> I had like five under the age of 12 with me. And, and you know, that's just, that's, that's, that's you just asking for problems. You're asking for a father to go off just to, just to yell or scream or slap somebody or do something. That's just going to happen. And he followed. I didn't even know he was there. He just followed me all through. I got to the checkout. He said, bro, I watched you today. You a real Christian? <laughs> I love you, bro. Happens to me all the time. All the time. 
Fortunately, I, I haven't ruined my testimony. I haven't done anything stupid. There's no, I could. There's stuff I probably could do that I need to apologize for, but I haven't done that yet. And it, 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 I was just in Dallas three days ago. <laughs> this is funny. So I'm in the United Lounge, right? I'm waiting for my flight. It's been delayed by an hour. I'm sitting there in my chair, <clears throat> and, and it's got a bar in there, the whole works. And the, the TV is right at the bar. And so I'm watching Sports Center. And everybody's got things by me and ordering drinks. And I'm sitting there and I'm thirsty. And I, I don't drink. I don't drink. And, but I'm sitting there. I said, I wonder. My daddy loved this. I wonder what that stuff tastes like. Uh. And then as I'm thinking, I'm not even going to order. I'm just thinking. And, you know, they make alcohol look really pretty. The bottles are just so gorgeous. And it looks like there's gold on the inside of that thing. <laughs> what it looks like and so I'm sitting there saying man it looks so good and then I hear Pastor Brett <laughs> I'm in Dallas I'm in Dallas <laughs> some days like now I don't have any problem with drinking it's just a personal preference of mine there's no theological issue I got with it you want to have a drink fine I I just want you to know, I got to think about it sometimes. Do I want to have a conversation in Home Depot with somebody today who feels like this is a great opportunity they'd never get one at church to have with Pastor Brad? Do I want to go out and make sure that I'm at my best behavior or is this a day off for me? Not a day off from Christianity, but a day off where I can take my, my job away and just be normal. When we talk about what it means to be a believer, there's not a day that you get to take off the idea of being a Christian. There's not a day off of being a Christian. It doesn't exist. We get to be witnesses. We get to be. And may, may you be blessed with the opportunity for everybody in your sphere of influence to call you a son of God. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace and power and bless these men to grow up into something they never thought they could. Strengthen them. And help us to be known as your boys every day. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.